Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. And I want to look at a verse. It it might be the beginning of a few weeks, but the verse stands really by itself anyway. It's in Exodus in chapter 33. And I want you to just concentrate with me on the verse. Because if we look at everything around it and what Moses was doing, what the Lord was altogether saying, that would bring up another hour or two or three. Uh, I just want to look at the words that I'm going to read. Um, well, <laughs> okay, let's read from verse 12. Ex- Exodus 33, verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, that I may find grace in your sight." And consider that this nation is your people. And he, the Lord, said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For How then, that is, if your presence does not go with us, how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So, your going with us, we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Um, Persons who exegete the scripture would say that's a very dense paragraph. I mean, there is so much in what I've just read. And as I say, if we introduced why it was being said, that's an even greater thing. So I want to at least begin to look at this paragraph, this very dense, thick paragraph that almost every word you turn it over and you see some other nugget of truth that defines you and I as believers. And that's the whole point of this. This of all verses in the Old Testament, it is grappling with the fact that you as a believer stand out 
from all other people on the face of the earth. And why, why do you? What, what's behind that? And that, that's what I'm getting at in looking at this. And so Moses is at Mount Sinai right now. They have left behind them Egypt. They've gone through the ten plagues. They have crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. They have come and begun to receive the manna, the the miraculous food from heaven. There has been water coming out of a rock in the middle of a dry, desolate wilderness. That they have known the protecting power of God against their enemies, the Amalekites. And now they finally come to Mount Sinai and they're pitched there in their tents. And Moses has received the Ten Commandments. He's received uh, the, the greater part of what lies behind this in Exodus. While he's receiving it, these thick-headed people... They make a golden calf, you remember, and start worshipping the calf and forgetting totally who they are, who the Lord is. And that's what gives rise to this. Because essentially, the Lord had said, you, you go on, Moses, I'll send my angel ahead of you. He'll guide you into Canaan. But these people, I've had it with them. That, that's putting in a nutshell. And Moses now is praying. He is speaking with the Lord about these issues. And he is saying that unless the Lord goes with them, there's no point in ever leaving Mount Sinai. He said the whole issue that is at stake is that they are the people people of the presence, people with whom God dwells, people with whom God walks and travels and leads. Moses said, if you're not coming, if you're going to give us a mere angel to lead us, keep your angel. We don't want to leave here. There's nothing to go for. We're no longer any more than a Bedouin pack of people in the desert living in tents. So forget it. That, that's the issue. And you're coming to a phrase. It's sort of hidden in these verses, though I think it's, on the other hand, right in your face. And that phrase is, the Lord be with you. God is with you. We've talked about this before. Only I, I want to say things today and possibly in weeks to come I've not said yet. Um, the Lord be with you. It was a phrase that had become part of this family that came from Abraham through Isaac and Jacob, the 12 sons that became this great people of a few million people. And the phrase, which I say began back in the days of Abraham, was the Lord be with you. It was a a covenant statement that that God has joined himself to you. It's amazing just to say the words that, that the Lord has joined himself. The Lord, God creator, has joined himself 
to this family and actually brings the name of this family into his name. So he calls himself the God of Abraham, God of Isaac. Ever thought about that? God, God uses that to describe himself. It's amazing. And th- this, this is uh, the phrase that arose out of that. The Lord is with us. And sort of hidden behind that, yeah, we're not like anybody else. We, we are special people. We, we are unique people. The Lord is with us. We just don't go to work. We go to work in and through and by the very presence of this God who loves us and who has sworn by himself to be joined to us in all that we do, in all that we are. I say it was there since the days of Abraham. You remember Isaac, the son of Abraham, um, and there was a famine in the land. But because he understood the Lord is with me, then I am not like other ranchers. I am not subject to the same rules that ranchers are because the Lord is with me and I'm I I have his presence as my direction. And so in the famine, and and the place had become a dust bowl, but he took whatever grain he had and he planted it. And if you're a wheat farmer, especially back in those days, that's the daftest thing you can do, is to take the only grain you have and put it out there in the dust where there's going to be no rain, no water, you're throwing it away. But he had the greatest harvest of his life. And all the surrounding farmers who were Philistines, most godless people, they they came to the edge of his property and they said, okay, we got it. And they said it, God is with you because only God could do something like this. That's it. And then do you remember Joseph when he had been taken into slavery when you might think that he's forsaken. But the story of Joseph is pepper and salted with this phrase, and the Lord was with Joseph. And the result was the blessing that he knew in his slavery and later in jail and being ill-treated, but it spilled over onto his owners and then into the whole jail. That that's It's been there. It's been there. So, By the time we get to Exodus, we're well aware of the phrase and we're well aware of the fact that God has said to this people that I will be your God, you shall be my people, I am with you. So, and it goes on all through the Old Testament and the phrase, the Lord be with you, the greeting that they gave to one another every day just underscores that. And then in the New Testament, it bursts, it explodes into its fullest meaning. But it's in these words that I just read, Exodus 33, that's when we discover what Moses and what all these people would understand by the phrase. And to understand that means that you and I can understand 
in our everyday life what it means that the Lord is with us. So he, he's saying that this is, this, is, this is what the word means. And be, because you are with us and all of these things then are true, we're not going on without this. Uh, This is the very meaning of being a covenant person. See, I might put the question to you. What does it mean to you right now, as you listen to me, what does it mean that the Lord is with you? The Lord is with Malcolm. I mean... It could take you a few days to keep saying that and meditating until it's soaked in. The Lord is with me. But then what does it mean that the Lord is with your home, with with that relationship, that, that nest, that home in which you live with husband, with wife, with children? What does it mean? The Lord is with you so that you walk into that home and you are walking into a unique withness that separates you off from uh, your regular neighbors. What does it mean that when you go to work in the morning, to the office, to the factory, to the construction site, what does it mean that the Lord is with you? What's that going to do to your job? What's it going to do to the way you work? The Lord is with you. What does it mean when you go to school? Whether you're in elementary school or middle school or high school, whatever, if you're going to college, what does it mean? Perk up your ears. What does it mean that the Lord is with you as you sit at your desk, as you pour over your math and your English? And what does it mean the Lord is with you? That's the point. That's what I'm getting at here. What what does it mean when the church you attend wakes up one day to realize the Lord is with us? What does it mean? As you walk into every situation of life, some of them you would label at least to begin with joyous. Others, to begin with, you'd say this is a disaster. But to know that in all my joys, in all my disasters, the Lord is with me. What does that mean? Okay, I tell you, this this little phrase is foundational to the entire Christian life. The life of Old Testament believers and us today. And and Moses understood this. I mean, you did hear me, and I, I repeated it afterward. Um, he said, verse 15 of Exodus 33, He said to him, the Lord, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. I mean, did you hear that? That's Moses saying, if you are not with us in that unique personal fashion, with us as a people, with us as individuals, with us 
in all our travels, with us in all our hurts and pains and joys and delights. If you are not with us, then let's call it quits right now. There's no point in going on. Hear me. I mean, that's real. That's real. That's not a fantasy. That was Moses speaking to the Lord out of the depth of his heart and underscoring in red and purple what this means. He said, if you are not with us, there's no point to all your promises. In fact, everything you've done in the past is really, well, thanks, but no thanks. I mean, this is, did you hear me? He is saying, forget about all your promises. We're not interested. Forget about all the blessings you promise. We're not interested. None of that has any meaning whatsoever unless you, in your personal presence, are with us. And if your personal presence is with us, then your promises and then your blessings and then your signs and wonders, then they found their place. They fit into that. But if you're not there, if your personal presence is not relating to us, then we're really not interested in anything else. Yeah, it was marvelous, you see, to to come out of Egypt with your mighty hand in the, the plagues against Egypt. But the whole point was you were with us. And that's, it wasn't just uh, seeing the defeat of the Egyptians. It, it was knowing you were with us. You, you, you loved us, you liked us, and you were doing this for us. It's what changed our lives, not just seeing a, a bunch of frogs or something. No, it's, it's you, it's you. I mean, thank you for bringing us through the Red Sea. It was really wonderful. But the fact was, you were there on the shore. You, for us, were dealing with the Egyptians. You, for us, blew the wind and opened the sea. You came through the waters with us. And you danced with us on the other shore. Yeah, you see... It wasn't just some trick of the universe. It was you. And your promises of going into the land of Canaan is marvelous. But if you're not coming with us, we really don't have any interest in going. So can we get this straight? Any promise of future promised land it's so hollow it's so shallow if you are not with us so can we get this straight um if you're not if you're going to give us a measly angel it's not exactly that angels have a tremendous place in scripture as our servants um but th- this is the moment of comparison and he's saying i'm not interested in angels you it's your presence that I want. Then you can give us all the angels you will. It's your presence. It's your presence. That's all that counts. Everything else without you is meaningless and hollow. I believe it's what Jesus meant there when he said, Seek first 
the kingdom of God, and then all these things shall be added to you. He's been talking about all the stuff, the, the food, the clothes, the drink, the houses, the everything, the, the, the Gentiles, the outsiders are looking for. He says, they're trying to find meaning in a heap of stuff. You're not like them, he said. You seek first the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is, in fact, the very presence of God himself in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And so he is saying the same thing in New Testament way. Seek first to know me. Seek first my presence in your life. Oh, this other stuff, it will all take care of itself. I'll make sure of that. Get, get your priorities straight. Or what is it in Psalm 27 where David said, this one thing have I desired that I might behold you. It's the same thing in poetic language this time. He said, there's only one thing. Everything else will find its place. There's only one thing. It's this, the presence. When Joshua is going to take Moses' place after the death of Moses, he's going to lead the people into the land of Canaan. And, and what, what is it that gives him the assurance and the strength and the courage to go do it? Just this. The Lord said, as I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. It was the promise of the witness of God, the, the presence of God filling, being in, woven into every aspect of my life. And, and at Keresh Barnea, when uh, this, of course, was earlier, it was just after this, actually, and, and when the ten scouts said that we can't go in, this is an impossible thing. Do you remember Caleb's reasoning was, if the Lord is with us, then let's go do it. That, that was the point. The, that was the only difference. If God is with us, then nothing's impossible. If God is with us, we can do all things through him. If God is with us, he's ahead of us, he's behind us, he's around us, and nobody can stand in our way. The ten scouts said of that, we're not sure, so let's run for our lives. And the summation of many of the verses that are around this time is quoted in Hebrews in chapter 13. Do you remember? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And if you have an amplified Bible, read it in that version. It, it, because it brings out something we can't say in English. The strength, the intensity of the, that word never. It says, I will not in any way leave you. I will never, I will never, I will never, I will never, I will never leave you in the lurch. I will never let go of you. That, that's, that's what here. That's why Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the ages. Most important thing. I, I don't care what else you have. I don't care the size of your church. I don't care the size of your house, your I, I don't care how you define success. There's only one success 
and that is knowing the Lord is with me and living in relationship with him who is thus with me. And then, yes, then my business, my home, my job, my, my, my mothering, my family, my... It's all right, right over it all now, prosperity, success. It's not how much stuff, it's who it is that fills your life and heart. That's what he's saying. So he said, if you're not with us, let's forget the whole thing. Forget the rest of the Bible. Well, what does this look like, this presence? Well, presence, um, just for starters, the, the presence of God is the recognition that he is in my life. This is very personal. It is the awareness that in every detail of what I call life, he is there, and he is there for me, pro-me. And he's the communicating God. I share with him, and he shares with me his deepest heart, presence. In the, the book of Exodus and Numbers and right up through Deuteronomy, that, that presence had an appearance. An appearance, incidentally, that shows up throughout the rest of Scripture, but very specifically in these early books, it, it's revealed as what is called a pillar of cloud and, and a pillar of fire by night. Uh, the, the, if you keep reading all the references and inferences, it would appear that that was not just sort of a, a pillar of cloud, but it was a pillar that came like an umbrella and overshadowed the people, shading them from the blazing sun of the desert. And at night, when the temperatures plummeted, that became almost a blanket of fire around them. But it was more than that. It was the shimmering glory of God. It was, in fact, the immediate presence of God in the very midst of the people as they camped around the tabernacle, the tent where God had chosen to put his presence, that, that, that presence, that shimmering glory that, that showed like fire at night. But the interesting thing here, presence is our English word. And I can understand why we didn't translate it by the Hebrew word, because in English it wouldn't make sense. Because this word here, your presence go with us, the word presence there in the Hebrew language is face. Moses is saying, take us, let, let's call this trip off unless your face goes with us. Your face. This is the Hebrew word that describes the presence of a person. And especially if you have an older version of the scripture, 
you, you go through it on this word face. We, we talk, do we not, often on seeking the face of God. Well, that's the original Hebrew. And in, in modern English, we would say seeking his presence, but his face, or you, you sometimes read his faces turn toward us. That is, his whole presence is reaching out to us and so on. It's interesting to follow it through. But understand, the word presence in the Hebrew language is face. And quite honestly, it, it does a lot more to me than the word presence, face, face. Um, the, the face of a person is where you engage them in their, their full personal, the, 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 the entire person comes through the face. Come on, you know that's true. I mean, you can do a, do a real job of hiding it, but it's going to show up sooner or later. Um, what, what is your attitude toward this person? It's going to come through. Attitude just oozes out of the pores of your face. Attitude is in your eyes. Attitude is around your mouth. You know, these little lines here. You, you, you just look at the person, wham, out of you like a, a real energy, right into the middle of a table, into a conversation. What, what you think about that person is coming through. And, and we call that, yes, it's something tangible. Everybody at the table feels it, and we call it attitude. But... Um, it, it's your face. Your face. Your face gives the game away. And, and and if you're madly in love with that lady over there, and you're trying to hide it from people, forget it. You don't have to open your mouth. Of course, you're far from saying anything. It's in your eyes. It's in those creases in your face. It's it's in. It's an aura that's coming out of your face that, uh, you know, I can't take my eyes off this lady. I think she's the greatest thing since whenever. Um, it's the face. It's, it's the full, your full self comes through your face. A and if you're going to engage with someone in a meaningful way, you're looking at their eyes, aren't you? In fact, if a person does not look at my eyes when they're talking, I don't trust that person, not altogether because the eyes sort of focus the face. And when they avert their eyes, they're trying to hide themselves. When a person smiles at you, really, that is, and if you don't like my words, just find another word, but you know what it is. There's an energy of love and like and acceptance and reception in a person's smile. A person's laugh can catch you into their laughter. The person who knows you and loves you, they only have to look at you. Every movement of your heart and your soul comes through the face. You know, when it says, except your face goes with us, 
that is, your, your face that looks at us with love, your, your face that delights in us, your, your, your face that communicates, if God be for us, who can be against us? In fact, maybe we'll go into it later, but when we say Holy Spirit, that, that phrase, a phrase, or name, um, part of the Holy Trinity name, um, the person of the Holy Spirit, really we, we have a great problem understanding what spirit is. And of course, if you insist on reading King James and have got all tangled up in Holy Ghost, um, it's, it's very confusing, especially to a real outsider. Now, the word spirit has many meanings, but one of them is what I'm trying to say here. And pushing it, pushing it, you could call him uh, the holy attitude. For in the Holy Spirit, the attitude, oh, feel that, the, the, the attitude Everything God has unbeginningly felt about you, everything He wants and yearns and longs for you, that, that spirit, that, that's the coming out. He looks at you, it's His attitude, and the Holy Spirit is the attitude of God laying hold of us, embracing us. And in the Old Testament, they, they had the blessing. The blessing that was given to the people every day by the, the high priest. And um, it's in Numbers in chapter 6. Months and months ago, we dealt with this in detail, but in the light of what I'm now saying, and of course, Numbers chapter 6 uh, was given a very short time after Exodus 33. So there's a linkage here. After Moses had said, except your face goes with us. Then the Lord said, I'm going to give a special gift. I'm going to give you the words of blessing that shall ensure my coming and embracing and empowering and overshadowing you. And in number six, he gives it to them. Verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. Listen. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Okay, are you ready to hear what that really means? His face shine on you means he's grinning at you from ear to ear. It's the smile of limitless delight. He can't take his eyes off you. He's smiling. His love spills over into every corner of his mouth. Make his face shine upon you. And in that shining face is light and there is life. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, favor you. And then... And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Well, countenance is another word for face. The, the, your countenance. So it says, now the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, which is, among other things, a phrase in the Hebrew language 
which I suppose today we would say means to catch a person's eye. Um, though it's got more in it than that. But if you, you were across a room and, and the, the person there at the front is scanning the order, I've done this many times, sitting on the platform waiting to speak, I will scan the audience to see anyone there that I know. And, and then you, you see someone, you, you know them, you've got a history with them from somewhere. And as I look at them and they're looking up and our eyes meet and in that moment it really is so. You lift up your countenance. It's and across an audience and sometimes there's been thousands of people there and I am connecting with that one face. My face, my countenance is lifted up and I said, I, I know you, I know your name, do you remember when? Not a word is said, but we've connected. There's been like a flash of lightning across the auditorium between us. You get it? He said, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. In the middle of a crowd, when you feel unknown, that loneliness within a crowd, he said, the Lord lifts up his countenance. You realize that God, creator, lover, redeemer, savior, looks into your soul and says, I know you and I love you and I'm with you and I'll never leave you. The presence, your presence, your face, you, you go with us. You go ahead of us. For your face is terrifying to our enemies. Your face walk alongside us. Look at us. Love us. Talk with us. Your face. Go behind us. Be our rear guard. Be close to us. To know us. The presence they lived in tents, so God said, I'll live in a tent. And he lived in the tabernacle, in that shimmering glory. Okay, what, what, what happens next? He says, um, where is it? He says, you've got to come with it. You say, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you've said, I know you by name. You've also found grace or favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I found favor in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you, that I might continue to find favor in your sight. He says, my presence will go with you. Then he says it again, if your present doesn't go, let's finish it right here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found favor in your sight? He is saying we can keep talking about favor, but the only favor, the only grace that I really want is that you are with us and all others will take their place. When we say the Lord be with you, the Lord is with you, his presence is with us, his face is toward us, 
It means that we are dwelling in the favor of God, or as the translation I have here translates it, grace. And grace, let me throw this out. Um, the word grace, uh, when most people, when they say grace, that we've been taught to, to say that it means unmerited favor, unmerited gift. Well, yeah, but um, that's a bit weak. The, the word means, yeah, means unmerited favor, unmerited, unearned gift, but it, it means a lot more. It means that that gift is the almighty power, ability of God to function in that gift. It's not just that there's sort of unmerited passive things sort of happen. God is sort of nice. No, it means that you are infused with a gift that carries the almighty ability to implement that into your life. And so it's called favor. His face, his presence turned toward us with that infinite smile. Love turned toward you and says, I'm for you to do you good favor. You know, the meaning of the word favor, if you use the word even in modern English, it means an intentional, hear me carefully, an intentional bias of love. You, you mean, if you say someone is favored, it means that whoever's doing the favoring ha has singled that person out. Do you understand? It, it's Favor, it always has in it the idea that you are specially chosen. You're singled out. You, yeah. Intentional bias. And, and of course, in many cases, people get upset when they see someone favored because... Their negative only explains what I've just said. They, they can see that person is being treated different. But that's the meaning of the word. He says, if your presence is with us, we're different. You see, we're, we're different. You are, oh God, can you get this? When we say the love of God, we mean that he has intentional, intentional bias. He intentionally treats you differently. He intentionally acts toward you specially. At least that's what it looks like to others. Your favorite. And remember what we're talking about, not some pie-in-the-sky stuff. We're talking about you. And of course, all these people in the Bible, you do know, none of them were ministers. You did know that, didn't you? All these people we're talking about, they were ranchers and workers. Um, and of course, some of the leaders, would today we'd call them, you know, president or 
they, they, they would be a general law, they would be Secretary of State, but none of them were ministers. Please get that out of your head, that it's ministers, those characters who appear on TV, uh, on the religious channels, you know, they're, they're special, they're fake. No, no, no. I'm talking about you who work in an office in Manhattan. I'm talking about you who raise five kids and go to PTA meetings and carry them off to games and so on. That, that's who I'm talking about. You, you are favored. His presence is with you. You're favored. In what you are doing as you go to your place of work, there's an intentional divine bias of love toward you. There's an intentional goodness, divine goodness, working in your life. In those things I've just mentioned, even in the way you go shopping, what you find on the shelves, what you do with it when you get home, you're not alone. There's presence, the same creative presence that made the universe is with you, loving you, on your side, giving you his wisdom. In your home, you, you, you realize it, that he fills your home, the relationship, the web of persons in the home, favored, enabled to be a nest of love. Yeah, and at school, you're not like you're favored. You wore... You see, it says in the Psalms that his favor is around us like a shield. Get that image of yourself. His favor, this, this gift that you haven't earned, it's got nothing to do with that. It, it is. You, the favor of God is around you and, and making a way for you and, and on all sides of you. And, and when you look at that homework, he is your wisdom, he is your light. And when church and minister and deacons and elders and people get a hold of this and they realize that we, this community of people, this is the very expression on earth of the presence of God and we are favored. Another word that you could put in there, it's in the same family of words, is blessing. Blessing, which again means to be empowered in spirit and mind, emotions, body, and your possessions and your work, empowered by the Holy Spirit of love. Deuteronomy 28 lists, you know, do you remember that? He says that the blessing of God shall pursue you. A word that's only used in the Bible to describe a, a pursuing enemy. But this time God takes the word and says, yes, with that same intensity, that same panting desire, I'm pursuing you to bless you, to empower you in every aspect of your mental, emotional, physical life as you walk with me. In, in fact, uh, it, it, it says because of this blessing, because of this favor, when your enemies look at you, they see more of you than there really is. So it says one of you, shall chase a hundred, two of you shall chase a thousand or so. 
because your enemies will perceive there's a lot more there than one. I had a friend, and um, I think this is worth telling. He was a missionary and uh, lived in a, in a village quite a ways from town. And every month, the, the church back in the States would send money to the bank in the big town. And so, very naively, the missionary set off from his village trekked through, uh, I mean, a wilderness time, I mean, no, no homes, nothing, just a path through nowhere, until he got to the town and he went to the bank and almost the same time every week picked up the money and then went back to his little remote village where he ministered. Well, unbeknownst to him, the local bandits had uh, picked it up. And they said every day, every week at this time, there he is. And so they, they plotted and they, they, they waited for him. But they never did anything. And some months went by and then one of them came to the Lord and soon they all came to the Lord. And, and then when they got used to being believers and talking to this missionary, uh, and they said, where are all the others that are normally with you? And he says, uh, I'm alone. Oh, no, they, they, they said, and this, this is a true story. They, they said, when you were going to the bank, we were laying in wait for you behind the rocks. We were going to mug you, kill you, and take your money. But you had all those cowboys that looked like John Wayne and we realized there were too many of them for us to touch you. And so we gave up on the idea. You always had an entourage of John Wayne cowboys with big guns on their belt. Now, isn't that interesting? One lone, ha, one lone missionary trudging through desert wasteland not even knowing that his would-be attackers were behind the rocks. But what they saw was not one man. They, they saw, I don't know, 20, 30 men and, and so, and I had to laugh when I heard it because that was their exact words. They, they said, like John Wayne Cowboys. Um, yeah, you see what I mean? This favor that surrounds us like a shield takes on many different aspects. The Lord is with you, and he'll come up with things that you would never think of. And he'll protect you when you didn't even know you needed it. And many times that protection is that in the spirit world, which can be transferred to the brains of men, you look ten times, a hundred times more than you are. And that explained the boldness of the persons in Scripture. You're favored. God is with you. And He directs you. He provides for you. He protects you. Favored. And He said, I will carry you to your rest. I will carry you to that home of promise. And one last thing that... Um, 
I'm going to leave it, and we will be back to this. He, he says that because of the presence of God with, he said, if you don't go with us, if you don't, how then will it be known that your people have found favor in your sight, except that you go with us? It's your with us. It's your with us that is the favor. Then he said, so, because you're with us, and you're favoring us, so we shall be separate. Your people and I, separate from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. <laughs> separate. The word means, in the original language, distinguished, different, separated, set apart. Or it would mean exceptional. That is, you, and I wish you'd get this, see, so many believers settle for ordinary, honestly. And when they come together with other believers, they, they look at each other as ordinary. You're not ordinary. You know, you, you need, please understand me, I'm not being foolish. It would, you'd need to meet a witch doctor who would be scared spitless when he looked at you. Because you're not ordinary. You're not the person you think you are. The only person you are is the one that God knows you are. You're not ordinary. You are not an ordinary human being. You are not an ordinary housewife. You're not an ordinary mother. You're not an ordinary worker. You're not an ordinary CEO. You're not an ordinary student. You are one with whom the presence, the very face of God has imprinted himself, united with you, favors you. You, you are different. You are distinguished by your relationship with God. You know, the, the, the world says, well, whatever, it's impossible. The world looks at the present economic situation and determines that this and this and this and this can't be, won't be, is impossible. Well, that's okay. That's what ordinary people would say. But you see, you are not ordinary. You look at this economic situation knowing that you are exceptional. You are different. You are distinguished by the immediate presence of God in you and with you. Therefore, you're separated, set apart from ordinary human beings whose eyes are still closed to who they really are in the mind of God. So we don't play by the rules of the flesh. You understand me? The rules of the flesh is what the general world out there say is possible. It's what they predict as that's what's going to be. Well, we don't play by those rules, you see. We play by God rules. If God be with us, if God be for us, who can be against us? Because God is with us. He loved us, spared not his only son. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. 
We don't play by the rules of ancestors. My ancestors, God bless them, I wouldn't be here without them, but my ancestors handed down to me rigid rules of life that guaranteed to keep me locked up in a four-square-foot life room. Why? Because that's what their ancestors said to them, and that's what their ancestors said to them. I remember, I remember being raised in England as a peasant and, and the mantra was drummed into me whenever I would think of something beyond our home, beyond where we lived, beyond where my father worked. If ever I thought beyond it, they said, that's not for the likes of us. Get back in your room. It's not for the likes of us. I can hear my mother saying in a London Cockney accent here, mate, that ain't for the likes of us. Uh, took me a time to realize that in Jesus Christ, God is ultimately with me, with us, that I am limitlessly favored and blessings that my ancestors couldn't even dream of are for the likes of me because the likes of me is one who is in Christ whose the presence of God dwells within us distinguished from all peoples on the from all peoples on the face of the earth talk about exceptional exceptional it's true of all people except you because you're in Christ and the Holy Spirit fills you and out of you there flows the blessing of God it's true of all people but you're distinguished you're you're not with the mob because you have entered into the covenant and you've heard his words, I will never leave you, never forsake you. You are my beloved. You are the desired. You are the longed for. You are the empowered. You are the enlightened. Or as Exodus 19, really the beginning of that phrase I've just said, the Lord said to these people, he says, you are my special treasure. He said, all the world is mine, but you are my special treasure. Something like saying, you know, I, I, I own it all, but this is my pocket money. This, this is mine. I invest here and I invest there and I own this and I own But this is mine. You are his special treasure. Or as the prophet said, that you are the apple of his eye. You touch the apple of your eye and your whole body stops. Or again, as he said, even a mother can forget the child that she suckled, but I cannot forget you. He said, speaking of covenant, I have graven you on the palms of my hand. That is, he said, I have cut my blood is shed to forever remember you for life and for death. Well, you understand the little tiny bit of what it means the Lord be with you. I mean, greet yourself in the morning. The Lord is with me. Look at your family. The Lord is with you. 
Well, I'm going to stop there. I've got a lot more to say just on this. I think this is, we're going to camp here for a while. And so, until the next time, let your meditation go over this and over this and over this until your very being throbs with the reality that the Lord is with you and you are favored. And because of that, you're distinguished from all other persons on the face of the earth. That's a believer. Not, let me quickly say this. It doesn't mean that God rejects everybody else. His love reaches to all, for humankind was created to be exceptional. Every one of us created in the image and likeness of God. You talk about exceptional. But mankind's eyes are blinded. They believe a lie and stumble in darkness and believe that the death and chains in which they live is normal. Your eyes have been opened. You have seen what eyes have not seen and ears have not heard nor ever entered into the heart of man. You've seen it. And you're waking up to realize that you are distinguished. You are one with Jesus who is the image of God. His presence is with you. Well, that's the essence of the gospel, isn't it? You live it and then you tell it to the world out of your own experience. Hey, um, okay, I've said enough. And now the blessing. Yes, the blessing, the favor, the face of God, who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That blessing, that favor be with you in every movement of your life, in every hour of this incoming week, that you shall walk and you shall live and you shall be the celebration of the magnificence that you are in Jesus Christ. So I bless you. I declare you blessed. Amen. For that is the way it is.